Good morning. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you so much for the blessing of your word and the amazing events that it recounts to us. Give us now the faith to believe them, particularly as we look to your ascension today. Uh, Give us wisdom, give us knowledge, give us faith, and give us hope. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, it's been so fun to go through this uh, E100 class, and a couple times it has fallen exactly uh, right according to the liturgical calendar, and this is no exception. Uh, Today we are going to have uh, the account of the Ascension, and next week we will have Pentecost, This coming Thursday is the Ascension. Pentecost is June 9th, but we're not having Rector's Forum on June 9th because we have the one one service and and then the the picnic afterwards. So we'll not have uh, a breakfast and we'll not have uh, a class on on June 9th. So we're going to talk this week about the Ascension and next week about uh, Pentecost. We are moving into chapter uh, chapter 1 of Acts as the... um, uh, as we've looked at for the last couple of months now, the uh, three months actually, the, the life of Jesus in the Gospels. We spent a long time, probably five months going through the Old Testament, and now we're moving into, uh, we've gone through the Gospels, now we're moving into the Epistles. But the Acts is sort of a transition between the Epistles and the, uh, and, and the Gospels. It is, a, uh, it is really sort of like the same genre as the Gospels. The Gospels are a biography, uh, but it's a spiritual biography. It's a biography not just to tell the facts, but to get us to believe uh, in Jesus. And so the Acts is really an Acts of of um, a Gospel of the Holy Spirit. Sort of a biography of the Holy Spirit. As it were, as He works through the lives of the Apostles. So the the book of Acts is short for the book of the Acts of the Apostles, but I think it could really be called... Uh, the acts of Jesus through the apostles in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's really what it is. It's the acts of Jesus continuing, but through the lives of the apostles in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the acts is a faith-building biography of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles, particularly through the lives of Peter and then Paul. We see Peter's and his ministry, a lot of the apostles, but especially sort of centered around Peter, and then Paul taking a really uh, front and center um, stage in the, in the book of Acts. And what we're seeing in Acts is the radical expansion of the church throughout the Mediterranean uh, world. I mean, if we think that the deck is stacked against us now, think of how it would have been for the twelve disciples and and you know there was I don't know 50 or so who knows how many exactly around around them that also were following Jesus 72 I guess Jesus sends out the 72 but um, but at this point uh, they nobody believes in Christianity everybody believes something else to say that there's only one God and he's the one true God and deserves your allegiance would have been incredibly offensive and very difficult and they they went through incredible difficulties proclaiming that message we are moving into uh, as some have said moving into a world that is much more and more like that uh, in terms of its spiritual makeup because we're moving into a world more and more with lots of deities but certainly no uh, singular 
uh, deity that doesn't, although what we have is we have one that has already rejected the message of Christianity. So, uh, so it's not exactly the same. But it's, it, there's a lot to be commended about our culture from the book of Acts. Now the author of the Acts of the Apostles is who? Luke, somebody said. Uh, Luke and Acts were written by the same person, and they are a, sort of a two-volume set. Some say that he was, had intended to write a third volume, which either was lost to us, or he was martyred, uh, or he just couldn't buy papyrus, I don't know. But probably, uh, um, more than likely, he was martyred before he had a chance to do that. Both Luke and Acts, we see in the very first verses of Luke and Acts, he writes them to Theophilus. Uh, Theophilus is likely the proper name of someone who is a very prominent, uh, who is a wealthy Christian patron. And so he writes them to Theophilus to help, uh, to, to help him understand his faith, but also because Theophilus is probably footing the bill, so lots of people could understand his faith. But the word Theophilus, the name Theophilus, means lover of God, one who loves God. And so some have posited that Theophilus is not a proper name. It's, it's, uh, it's written to everyone. Or maybe like a code name uh, for someone. We don't want to call him Bill because then the authorities would know who Bill is. So we're just going to call him Theophilus, God lover. So, um, so anyway, that's kind of just an overview of the book of Acts. And we're going to, like we've been doing through the E100, we're going to hit the highlights uh, over the next few weeks. Let me read verses 1 through 5. Uh, somebody asked uh, on the survey actually why why do I why am I always the one who reads the scripture and I would actually love for you to read the scripture except you'd have to come up here and read into the microphone uh, and particularly into the recorder so um, so if we can work on that we can we'd love to have folks I thought you know I never really thought about that but since I've got the recorder I'm going to read the scripture right now <laughs> just saying all right. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's talking about the Gospel of Luke, right? I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he's just commending this second volume to his patron Theophilus. But then he says, uh, Jesus presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs. I actually like the New International Version, the NIV, a little better. Some of you may have that in front of you. Uh, where it says, After His suffering, He showed Himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. Isn't that interesting? That all throughout the 40 days before Jesus was ascended, that Jesus presented Himself to His disciples and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. Why would He have to do that? Because there were all the stories that the body was stolen. There were stories about the body being stolen, yes. And because they knew what dead was. 
It was just very hard for them. They were not more superstitious. They were not more likely to believe that someone had been raised from the dead. They knew. I mean, maybe they they had. They were less scientific, but they knew what dead was. They knew there's no coming back from that. And so Jesus apparently had to convince the disciples over and over again that he actually was risen. Do you remember uh, in the Great Commission, Matthew 28? Uh, verses 16 and 17, says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. It's a strange little phrase for Matthew to throw in there. But it was very difficult for them to believe that they weren't talking to a ghost. That Jesus was actually bodily resurrected. So I don't know... What, what to do with that, but I just think it's really important for us to realize that, that they had just as hard a time believing it as some folks here. And yet the whole foundation of the Christian church is resting upon the fact that Jesus rose from the dead bodily. We're not saying we just remember His legacy. He's alive in spirit. We're saying He's alive, period. Right? He's alive because He has defeated uh, death. But it was hard for them to believe. So he appeared over a period of 40 days. Now this is why our liturgical year has 40 days always from the day of Easter to Ascension Day. Ascension Day will be this Thursday. And uh, it's, the, it's a feast of the church. We don't, we don't know what to do with it always. And we're going to talk about the Ascension just a little while. Um, but this is, uh, this is why we have 40 days. And then 10 days after the Ascension is Pentecost. So it's always 40 days. It always lands on a Thursday. And then um, afterwards, I've got some plans for future Ascension Day services or some, some thoughts. I'll, uh, I'm not going to tell you what those are yet. But, and what he's talking about during those 40 days are, uh, is the kingdom of God. That's what it says. He was appearing to them by many proofs during the 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is what he talked about before uh, when he began his ministry, all throughout his ministry. What is the kingdom of God? What is it? Well, it's not geographic. We know that, right? Can't, you're not going to find it on a map. You'll find the kingdom of Nepal. You'll find the United Kingdom, but you will not find the kingdom of God. Uh, the, the, uh, it is not isolated. It is not ethnic. It is international. It is spiritual. The uh, late scholar and pastor John Stott wrote this. He said, The kingdom of God is His rule set up in the lives of His people by the Holy Spirit. It is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers, through a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, not by force of arms, political intrigue, or revolutionary violence. It's a pretty good, pretty good statement. It is, the kingdom of God is where God rules. And if He rules in your heart, there's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand because Jesus is present, but the kingdom of God is in your heart uh, if you recognize Him as your King. Uh, that is set up, says Stott, by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we see this beginning in the book of Acts. It was one of Jesus, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven that was um, one of the really synonyms, and it was one of Jesus' favorite topics before He 
uh, died, as he continues talking about it after he's raised. And I think this is important because we talk a lot about personal salvation. In fact, the, um, the vision of this church is that everyone may come into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. I do not discount that at all. But they should always be seen within the context of the kingdom that is much bigger and more significant than we are. No man as an island is a, uh, is a phrase that applies nowhere more significantly than in the kingdom of God. Our personal salvation uh, is... Uh, that we are brought into uh, the kingdom of God. He's not our king alone, but He is our king corporately. And so your individual experience of that salvation is indeed very personal. Uh, But it is part of something much greater than ourselves. And then He says to the disciples, He says, Don't leave Jerusalem yet, but wait for the promise of the Father, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So He's saying... Hang out here. Don't go off into the countryside. The Holy Spirit's coming. It's going to come in Jerusalem. And, um, and he's foretelling Pentecost, right? He's foretelling Pentecost. So let me look at verses 6 through 11. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That is a funny question. We're going to talk a lot about that question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight." And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw Him go into heaven. That is weird. Alright. So their question is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The great reformer John Calvin Uh, once said, there are as many errors in that question as there are words. (laughs) I think that's funny. Um, It has a very narrow view, this question. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's against everything that Jesus has been saying that the kingdom of heaven is. Will you restore? It means they're they're looking back to uh, the, the kingdom of King David. They're looking to a nationalistic, territorial, geographic kingdom. The kingdom of Israel. And the fact that they name it as Israel says that they're not seeing it as something that will fulfill the Abrahamic covenant where Jesus said, I mean, where God said to Abraham, through your line all nations of the earth will be blessed. So they're looking at this narrow, geographic, nationalistic, and at this time means it's temporal. Like right, right now, like we're just looking, and, and you can kind of cut them a little slack, even though Jesus has been trying to say, because they've never seen or imagined anything like this before. Um, every step of the way, as the Spirit expands the geography of His kingdom, that is, as the word goes out from Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, and even still today, there is always resistance to this idea. So, we can say that they were a little thick-headed. And maybe they were. 
But also, understanding comes given by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's coming in about ten days, right? So, um, so they had, we can cut them a little slack there. But Jesus gives two answers to their question. Will, will you? Will you restore at this time the kingdom of Israel? And uh, he says, no, you will. All right? Two, two ways. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. They may have had a lot of questions about these declarations, but the answer to all of these questions is going to be the ascension. So, we'll look at his power. Uh, you will receive power, you will be my witnesses, and then we'll look at the ascension uh, event itself. So it's the Spirit's job. He's talking about the first one. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's the Spirit's job not to restore a nationalistic uh, kingdom, but to expand the spiritual kingdom. In fact, each of us is here this morning. Each of us has faith in Jesus Christ because the Spirit has taken over and planted His flag in our hearts. Right? It's not magic. How did, he, how did the Holy Spirit come into your life? More than likely through other people. I have met people who just had a profound sense of the presence of Christ apart from anything else, but even they were driven into a community of Christians. Um, my story, and probably most of your story, involves someone inviting me in. The Holy Spirit works through people. That's just his ch- he, now he, he can work through neon signs or Meteorites, or you know, we always when I in, in young life when um, we would kind of give the the cross talk and we'd send the kids out for twenty minutes just to have some alone time with God. We'd always pray that there would be lots of um, shooting stars, you know, like just 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 come on, God, give me a sign. Oh, I just saw a shooting star. So um, that's what we pray for. He can work through anything he wants, but typically he works through um, through other people. St. Paul, uh, Paul wrote in Romans that faith comes by hearing, right? Hearing through the Word of God. So this is part, this is in a sense very sacramental. This and especially the pulpit, I think. Uh, it's not a sacrament of the church, but, but there is a, an intersection. I mean, in fact, listen, I could have the most um, articulate, erudite, uh, orthodox, biblically centered, powerful content in any of my sermons. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, it is dross, Right? Or I could just get up there and blah, 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 but the Holy Spirit comes and it's gonna, you're going to say, that's the best thing I ever heard. Because, <laughs> because it is His job to do the convincing. Somehow in that, He takes hold. And it's always my prayer that, that, that God takes the words I say and in the air between my lips and your ears translates them so that uh, what He plants in your heart is what He wants. And I pray that now, and I pray that every time, especially on a sermon like today. Which, you know, and always people come out and they say, oh my gosh, that was just such a great sermon because you talked about X, Y, and Z. I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't talk about X, Y, and Z at all. But they all, so either you were, and I don't say that, but I just say, thanks be to God, you know, because either the Holy Spirit is working or you just heard what you want to hear, here, and, and, and I can't help either one of those things. So, um, part of speaking in tongues. Part of well, that okay. Praise God for that. Um, the um, so you know, I, listen. I, I just kind of brushed over that. As I do believe in speaking in tongues, but that's in, we'll talk about that later in uh, in the as we get into the New Testament. All right. So this it's the Spirit's job, and, and the Holy Spirit says you will receive. 
Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he says, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, that's where they start. In Judea, a little closer to Jerusalem, but not very far outside the bounds. Samaria, a little farther still, and then to the ends of the earth. So what he's saying is kind of like, like you know, ripple effects in the water. The, Jerusalem's going to be where the pebble lands, that's the Holy Spirit, and there's going to be ripple effects throughout the, the world. Um, it was to go to the ends of the earth, to all people, to all nations, to all skin colors, to all languages, to rich people, to poor people, to the middle class, to the educated, to the illiterate, to the academic, to the corporate, and to the blue collar. I just think it's amazing that people can spend academic careers studying the gospel, studying the word of God, and yet a two-year-old can understand and have a living relationship with Jesus. It's pretty amazing. What does it mean to be a witness? My guess is that if I had all of you write down, we'd have about as many categories of, of answers as we have people in here. There's so many different things. But I just, who would like to share, who would be willing to share what you think a witness is or what comes to mind when, when a, uh, you hear the word, you shall be my witnesses? What, is it, what does he mean? One testifying on your behalf. One testifying on your behalf, sure. First hand knowledge. First hand knowledge, like an eyewitness. I've seen it, right? That's good. And to tell the truth. To tell the truth. Well, y'all have all the answers I wrote down, right? So um, <laughs> the, the Greek word for uh, uh, witness is martyr. Um, to witness was the word is martyreo, the Greek word martyrs. One who gave their life in witness for their faith. But it's, uh, they, they did not um, wit. Let me make sure I get the order of this right. To give their life uh, was uh, was not to witness, but their witness was that they were willing to give their life for this truth. In a courtroom, a witness is one who tells the truth, right, about an event or about a person. You might have an eyewitness, like Carol says, someone who is um, telling others the truth based on what they have seen, or you might have a character witness, someone who te- gives a testimony about a person based on their experience of that person. These are all witnesses. Um, St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Now, whether he said that or not, I don't know, but that's the, um, that, that's the legend that he said that. So, agree or disagree? Agree. <coughs> Your life speaks more than any word. Your life speaks more. Actions speak louder than words. So if I meet you where you are, you're dying of thirst, and I bring you a cup of cold water, and I pat you on the head and leave you, you will know that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. Is that right? No. No, because you left him. What? No, because you left that person who was dying of thirst. Well, how do I know when it's necessary? At all times. Preach the gospel at all times. And it's always necessary to use words. Okay? First you love your neighbor. First you love your neighbor? That's what you said? So first, In this case, you, you were loving your neighbor. And that's, you know, right. Make but a friend, be a make a friend, be a friend, and then hope that they come to Christ. No. 
bring them to Christ. Yes, so first we need to bring them the cup of cold water, whatever it is, but we there is some sense in which we participate, and we can't force the Holy Spirit, but I do think there is a means of explanation or means of invitation. So no, I'm not going to show up with a sandwich board and before I tell you my name and say, you know, hold up a sign that says repent or go to hell. I, mean, I, just, I don't think that's very effective evangelism. Um, but the uh, but I do think that we, sh- and I think we should always live our lives in accord with Christian principles. But to bear witness, uh, it's not just our lives. That's important. In fact, if we speak with our words, but our lives discredit our words, then our whole message is undermined. But to only speak with our lives and not with our words is also to undermine the message. And I will say, I find this personally very challenging. Because I get to come, and I talk about Jesus all the time, but I talk about Him to people who want to hear. That's you people. You pay me to tell you about Jesus, right? But, you know, the, it's, it's hard sometimes when you just see somebody to think, what, you know, if the Spirit nudges you to go speak to them or something like that about Jesus. Your neighbor. Did you ever see the video with... Um, uh, what, what was the... What's the pen and teller? What's the guy's name? Um... I can't remember which which one doesn't talk, but the one that talks, the bigger guy. Pendulette. What's that? Pendulette. Yeah, so Pendulette has this video. It's really cool, and he talks about, he, and he's an ardent atheist, but he's, he has this cool video where he says, this, this guy came up to me after a show and he said, I just want to share with you about Jesus Christ. And Pendulette says, uh, says, you know, it was really incredible. He said, I don't know what I believe about that, I mean, but I just want you to, how, if you believe that I'm going to hell because I don't, believe that, then how much must you hate me to just not tell me? And, and he was actually, and I, I, not every, listen, not everybody's as gracious as that, but I just think that it was a really important word for the church. Uh, I have a hard time with it. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I'm not in this position because I find it really easy uh, by any means. Although I do find that when I, like for instance, um, one of the easiest ways for me to do it is to, when I'm in a restaurant, and a server comes up and they give me the food and I can say to them, hey, I'm about to ask God to bless this food. How can I ask God to bless you? So there I'm not like punching them in the face with the gospel or anything. I'm just asking how I can ask God to bless them and there's a, more often than not, they say, you know, actually I'm really struggling with X, Y, and Z. Will you really, will you pray for my boyfriend or whatever it is? I think what's really important before we, I mean, I have a hard time, obviously, most of us do sharing the gospel, but more importantly, people wouldn't listen until they know how much you care about them, which is the example you just gave. Right. So. Yeah, so Connie said that they won't care how much you know until they know how much you care, basically. So, um, yeah, having that relationship is the, is the fertile ground, and yet then the, the nervous part comes in, well, will I lose the relationship? So, you have, to, you have to bear that, but more than likely, you're, we're just sharing our, what, what is most important about us with the person who's important to us. You might say, well, I mean, I'm too busy to do that, I'm not qualified to do that, or, you know, I'm an Episcopalian, I don't do that. Um, you know, my, our favorite ver- I always say our favorite verse on evangelism is the one that says, and Jesus charged him to tell no one who he was, right? So that's, um, um, I just think that's funny. 
you will be my witnesses. That's part of what we are brought into, is to participate with the Spirit in the spreading of the kingdom. We cannot force the Spirit upon anyone. But will you be ready, and will I be ready, when the Spirit pushes us in that direction? I pray that I'm ready. Will you pray for me that I'll be ready? And I'll pray for you that you'll be ready. Alright, the ascension. So he says, you're going to... Will you? They say, will you do this? And they say, no, you are. I'm out of here. And, um, and he floats up. No, no strings attached, right? No wires, no pulleys. Jesus floats up into the air and a cloud envelops him and he's gone. And they're staring up into the sky and an angel appears and says, why are you looking up in the sky? Are you kidding? He just floated up into the sky. It is, the, it is a strange, strange story. I, can't, it, I don't know what it would be like. If, if, Frank, if you just started lifting up right here, and, and, and like, I, we would all freak out, and so would you. It, it is such a strange uh, story to think of Jesus just floating up. Why, if He has defeated death, why would He leave us? Why would he just stick around and tell us how to live? Wouldn't there be so many... Why get Paul to go around to the uh, Corinthians and the Romans and the Ephesians? Why not just have Jesus, the risen Lord, go around? Why, why would he leave us? Why would he ascend? To prepare a place for us. Wonderful. I love that. That's what he says in the book of John. Yes, Rick. Well, if he was still here, then we would feel we wouldn't have to spread that word. If he was still here, Rick said, we would feel we would not have to still spread the word. I think there's really something to that because he's just said, you're going to be my witnesses, right? Okay? Part of our growth and our faith. Remember he said to Thomas, you've seen and believed. Blessed are those who have uh, not seen and yet still believed. Yeah, then why would the Holy... He said, it's actually to your advantage that I go away because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Now listen... Think about, and this is the only, I've used this illustration before, it's the only one I know for ascension. Um, if, you, if Jesus were still here and you wanted to see Jesus, you would have to go to where Jesus is, right? And there'd be a long line <laughs> to see Jesus. Think about a bottle rocket. If you want to see a bottle rocket before that fuse has been lit, you've got to go to the bottle, right? And you've got to see the bottle rocket right there. But once that fuse has been lit and that bottle rocket takes off into the sky, it explodes across the sky for all to see, right? And so when Jesus goes up, He, in a sense, explodes across the cosmic universe, across time and space, so that we might all be able to see. We don't have to get in a line to go see Jesus because now Jesus is with you. Uh, Jesus' ascension is like that bottle rocket, uh, on a, except on a cosmic scale. Um, he rose up then so that He could be with us now. He rose up by Himself so that He could be with all of us, rather than just having to stand in line and wait our turn. He rose up bodily so He could come down spiritually. He rose up finitely so that He could come down infinitely. He rose up in that time and in that place so He could come down in every time and in every place. The ascension is the gift of God to you and me because it makes Jesus accessible to all who believe. 
Thomas, you've seen and believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The Ascension is a major feast in the church, but we just don't always know what to do with it. Nobody's ever written you a Happy Ascension Day card. (laughs) But it is a significant event because it is how we have access to Him. he, He is ascended so that He would sit at the right hand of the Father. And from that place, He intercedes for all of us. What a comfort to know that the Son of God has the ear of the Father on your behalf. He's interceding for you. And yet His Spirit, He sends, and we're going to look at that next week with the actual Pentecost event, that He sent His Spirit so that we might know Him personally and intimately as a part of His wider cosmic kingdom. So the Ascension is a pretty remarkable and wonderful and strange event. That is what I have to say about it. So what about you? What do you have to say about it? Or questions that you have to ask about it? Yeah, Frank. In your I was, it was just an illustration, Frank. I don't expect for you to raise that. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. In your restaurant example with the server, did you have your collar on or not? I've done it both ways. Yeah. But typically with, when I don't have my collar on, um, if they don't know who I am, it's weird. And so it's better if, I know, if I've been there a few times and know the person and they've served a few times. Um, but, you know, like if you're just asking God to bless them. There's this, so that's actually a technique that I learned. It's not something I just came up with. And the guy tells the story about uh, in, it was actually in Beverly Hills. And there's a group of Episcopalians who uh, had decided they were going to say to people, to everybody that they could meet, I'm, I'm asking God to you know, how can I ask God to bless you? Maybe it's not, I'm blessed. But anyway, they, so they went to Starbucks. And, um, and this, you know, I'm gonna, gosh, I just learned this. I'm going to try it out. You're, so-and-so, your order's ready. Um, thank you so much. How can I ask God to bless you? And, this, and the barista <laughs> leaned in and said, are you one of the blessing people? Like, <laughs> somebody had already done that. You know, they had come to expect it. And actually... <laughs> Actually, the person, um, I mean, this is, when they do come to expect it, like, they'll actually seek you out. Like, oh my gosh, you've got to be praying for so-and-so. Like, that, you become their, sort of their pastor, in a, in a sense. I'm thinking it would go two ways. If you didn't have your collar on, they would be more impressed, because if they saw you with the collar, they think it's your job to do that, rather than just a normal person. Yeah, typically, if I ask them that with my collar, they start confessing. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paul. Yeah. You comment on, on the verse, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And a lot of times people say, I came to Christ. It's mm-hmm. their decision, like it was them. But truly, the way I think that is that God's already put it in Christ to, to pull us out. And I sometimes hear it's more about them than it is about Maybe somebody that so Paul's asking about the doctrine of election. Um, did, uh, the verse that says, um, when Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I've heard it said like this, and I love this. As if conversion or our coming to Christ is, is a doorway. And on the, on the doorway before we walk through is, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will 
uh, give you rest. And then we walk through, and on the door, the same doorway on the back is, I didn't, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So I, I think there is certainly this idea. I mean, for me, when I came to Christ, I, and I've told this before, I made the decision. I was at a, um, I was at a rally, like a, like a sort of junior varsity Billy Graham. Uh, his name was John Guest, and I went down. He invited, if you want to come to Christ, you know, make a public profession of faith, come down. And I sat there in my chair going, I don't still know if I want to do this. What are people going to think? And I decided I've got to go. That was a decision that I made. And I look back on that, and there was not a fork in the road. You know, like I, now, when I, it, it was, that was the only decision. Because I don't want to claim any responsibility. I don't want to say 95% of it's Jesus, but I'm taking 5% for myself, a little pat on the back. Like, it's all God. Thanks be to God that I am walking with Him at all. I want to give Him all the glory. So yes, I think when you come to Christ, you have to make a decision. And I don't have any problem inviting people to make that decision. In the full expectation that when they mature in Christ, they'll look back and say, I chose Him because He chose me first. I love Him because He loved me first. Thanks be to God. The doctrine of election is not a doctrine of condemnation if He chooses some and doesn't choose others. It's a doctrine of assurance for those who, have, who believe. So that when you are wandering from the fold of God, you can look up and say, I can't mess this up because He, he called me by name. And so you can come back to Him. It's a doctrine of assurance for you, but it's not a doctrine. If it is used this way, it's used wrongly and to much damage. It has been used this way. But to say, you know, we are of the elect, but those people are not. Give me a break, right? That's actually why I hesitate. I know what it means. I, I'm actually a little hesitant to have this sign out front that says, you're now entering the mission field. Because I know what it means, but I'm the mission field. I never cease being the mission field. I never cease being less in need of a Savior than the people who are riding their bike by you know, on, uh, during church on Sunday morning. Um, we're all the mission field. So, yes, God chose us. I definitely believe the doctrine of election, but as a comfort, not as a co- condemnation. Well, that is true. And yet, yet is God a universalist? I don't know. That's what Rob Bell said in Love Wins, but I don't think it holds water. So, yeah, there is, there is some, um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of debate about that. There's a lot of debate about that. Yes, it is His will that all men come to be saved, all people come to be saved. Does God get what He wants? That was Rob Bell's question. I don't know that... So, anyway, it's well, a... Also, it's revelation, it also says not everybody will accept it. Well, I think it is. It's, it's, I mean, there are some who outright reject it. I, yeah, I know. I mean, it's complicated. No, no doubt. It's free will, so we, we yeah. choose. Uh, that's what we just said. We choose, but He's chosen us. Those, chosen are, those us. are two parallel lines that are going to intersect in heaven one day. It's like he's a always, check. He's always there. Yeah. Rick, close this out, please. I've heard it said that that somebody made us get out of bed this morning and get here. That was Rita, right? uh, uh, Your your dog. Yeah. (laughs) But we had the choice to stay in bed. Yeah. Um, So there's something in our hearts that said, yes, you know, this is the place to be. So we... We had participation in it, but we're we're not the ones who put that voice there. Right. 
Yeah, you're right. I agree with that. Thanks be to God. All right, listen, I've been thinking about something. I love this uh, class, and I love doing this, but I don't need to be the only one who does this. And I have been thinking about um, maybe in late summer, early fall, teaching a class outside of this class on how to teach a class. And so um, if you're interested in that, uh, I would love to talk to you about it. So anyway, just there it is. God bless you. Go to church.